0: We have made it all the way to Matthew chapter five, Mark chapter five. Mark chapter five is indeed what it is. Um, I feel like I say this all the time, but uh, this is a really, really good passage, and God has given me courage and given me conviction, and it's just a. I'm really, really excited to uh, get to share what God has uh, illuminated in my brain this week. If you have your Bible, open it up to Mark chapter 5. If you don't have a Bible, feel free to to jump up and grab one on either side. Those are uh, our gift to you. You can even take it home with you if you want. Even if you have lots of Bibles at home and no ESV Bibles, take that one with you. It's our gift to you. Um, So Mark chapter 5, before we get into it, let's... uh, Let's pray. I know Jeff just prayed, but let's pray again. God, I thank you for your strength. I thank you for your power, God, and I thank you for your word that you have persevered to speak to our lives. God, I pray that we would come at this word and come at this this story from your word, God, with uh, with open ears and open hearts, God. and. Uh, desiring to to suck all of the truth and all of the life and all the uh the application of it for our lives Uh, just suck it out of it god it's 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 so rich with gold father and and we trust that you will um illuminate this for our brains and for our lives as we study it god i pray that you would uh bind the enemy and and keep us from being distracted father that we might um partake of the whole of your word tonight, Father, and and not be distracted, Father. I thank you so much for Jesus uh, and the hero that he is of this story, God, and the hero that he is of every story in Scripture. We thank you for his cross. We thank you for his death. We thank you ultimately for his resurrection that brings us life with you. It's in his perfect name that I pray. Amen. So Matthew, or Matthew again, Mark chapter 5, uh, verse 1 through 20. Last week we saw Jesus as being master of nature as he calmed a storm with uh, three simple words, peace, be still, and tonight, uh, this is uh, an illustration of Jesus being in control of the spiritual realm. As we've talked about each of the the, the additions of the... Uh, Images of Jesus, this one is part eleven. If you have your study guide with you, this is images of Jesus part eleven the demon uh, Mark here is showing where Jesus is in control of the spiritual and again this is the whole book of mark is is like a walking through a museum that 's why we 've called this thing images of jesus we 're walking through seeing pictures of Jesus, and Mark is in the midst of telling us three different stories and and using physical events that happen and jesus is using them to teach the spiritual and the message throughout this course is jesus is in control last week he was in control of nature this week he's in control of the spiritual realm and next week he'll be control of death and disease and um, ultimately this is the wing of our museum where jesus is in control so let's uh Walk through this and see the in in each of these the process of being broken to being healed or redeemed or restored. And in last week's message and then this week and even next week, that's the basically we're presented with a, a an a facet of life where we are broken or someone is broken and they are led to a place of being restored or redeemed or even healed. So. Uh, first verse of, Ma- of Mark chapter 5 is just setting the geography of this. Again, remember, Jesus has just walked through a storm and He's been this filled, huge, vastly uh, serious, hard day. And it's it's in the, the same moment that he, He's been asleep in the middle of a storm and the, they wake Him up and He says, Peace be still. And He teaches about what that means and He teaches about faith. And moments later, this event happens. It probably takes uh, an hour or two to cross this uh, the the Sea of Galilee, and and so it's still that same day when this stuff happens. So Christ is is tired. Verse one: They came to the other side of the sea, that is the Sea of Galilee, to the country of the Gerasenes, and the Gerasenes are just a group of people from this region. It's the sort of the the east central portion of. The Sea of Galilee. If you have your your study guide with you, you can check it out in, in the maps that are at the beginning there. But ultimately, most of, of what happens in the life of Christ is in the city called Capernaum, which is where Jesus and Peter were from, where they lived their lives, and it's on sort of the northwest edge of the Sea of Galilee. And now they're sort of on the east central edge of the Sea of Galilee, and that's where this region of Gerasenes is. That's a people from a town uh, are called Gerasenes. And, and at the end, at verse twenty. Uh, it says that they're in the decapolis. The decapolis is the there's 10 cities. That's where decapolis comes from. So it's it's 10 cities that make up this one region. Similar to to St. Louis County and Ferguson and Florissant and Hazelwood are cities within the the north county. This is the the same sort of feel. So I'm kind of laying out the geography of what's happened Christ crosses the Sea of Galilee and he's in east-central and and Capernaum is filled with Jews. This place is filled with Gentiles. We're going to run into a bunch of pigs that the people are using for food. The the Jews would never touch pigs. It it was an unclean animal to them. But this is a region filled with Gentiles. and So when all these pigs die later on in the story, it's a a food supply that's that's run out for these people. And so Jesus is here dealing with a Gentile man living amongst Gentile people who have no real understanding, no real... uh, Grasp of what Judaism is all about. But they see this authority and power of Christ in the story. Let's keep going. Uh, verse 2. And when Jesus stepped out of the boat, immediately there met Him a man from the tombs with an unclean spirit. Uh, I want to stop for just a second and explain to you what these tombs are um, through studying this and, and studying the, the extra-scriptural, meaning the the, the people who, who aren't relying upon Scripture to tell them history, the extra-scriptural historians um, have have seen this and, and believe that the place they're talking about, there is uh, a region in the east-central portion of the Sea of Galilee where about a mile off of the shoreline are these a bunch of tombs. And from the the excavation work that's been done there, what these tombs are, are really, they're not tombs like you and I would would think we, we go to a, a modern-day cemetery and see these these large concrete structures that have seals on them. That's not what they're talking about. These tombs here are caves, open caves that any person could walk in and walk out of. And they are on the outskirts of this town where these garrisons live. And it's basically, for those who couldn't afford to buy a real tomb to bury their dead, bury them in these caves. All right, And this is where this guy, this crazy, evil demon-possessed man is living. He's not just living in among tombs with picture, a sealed concrete deal where dead people are. He's living among caves that served as tombs. And so there's death all around him. He literally lives, watches people decay. And he's living with, with people that have been dead for a couple of weeks and people that have been dead for a couple of years. But this is where this guy lives. So imagine the the death stress that's on this guy. He's having to eat, having to live, having to sleep and breathe. And when it's the, the weather gets big and bad and remember there was just a, a giant storm that had these disciples scared for their lives. When there was a giant storm, he's got to retreat into these caves and actually live and sleep next to decaying, dying people, dead people that are just disease ridden. Uh, so that's I don't want you to, to mistake that this guy's like living in a graveyard. He's not. Li- he's living in Of tombs of caves where dead people are exposed. He can touch them. It's not just a graveyard. Uh, Verse 3, He lived among the tombs, and no one could bind Him anymore, not even with a chain. For He had often been bound with shackles and chains, but He rinsed the chains apart, and He broke the shackles into pieces. No one had the strength to subdue Him. Night and day among the tombs, and on the mountains, he was always crying out and bruising himself with stones. Um, this is really, really intense, thing that's happening here. This is uh, a man living alone among the dead bodies of the poor on a lonely hillside, filled with torment and anguish, and he is intentionally hurting himself. This is a guy that's completely overcome. By evil and and demons and the, the the evil spiritual world and his torment and his his uh, his pain and his screaming and, and I hope you you see the the bold adjectives that are used here. This story is related in Mark and Matthew and in Luke, but by far Mark's gospel presents the most clear. Uh, descriptive portion of what's here and he does it to allow us to get in touch with what's happening here because he's telling a great metaphor of how Christ is in control of the spiritual realm. So I'm going to read that again and and try to to connect with the 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 difficulty of of the words that are being used here. He lived among the tombs and no one could bind him anymore, not even with the chains. So the people there had tried to bind him and he was too strong. The evil in him was too strong for he had often been bound with shackles and chains, but he wrenched the chains apart and broke the shackles into pieces. These are steel metal shackles that he breaks into pieces. See that? And no one had the strength to, to subdue him. Night and day, among the tombs and on the mountains, he was crying out and bruising himself with stones. Imagine, maybe half a mile to a mile away is the civilization part of this town, and they hear this guy screaming and crying out, and they encounter him as they maybe go to bury their dead, or maybe as they, they go to the sea, as they have to walk past this guy in the tombs and to, to get out to the sea. And this is a, a, a reason that relies upon fishing, or relies upon the the goods that come from the sea, and so they cross, but pass by this guy all the time, and they see the the depth of his depravity, the depth of of how he's been just who he is has been c- completely impaired. and And I want to I want to take us to that, and and not get so consumed with the story that we miss the metaphor. The metaphor that, that's here is beautiful, and that each of us, including this guy, and each of us in this room, and everybody that's ever taken a breath on this world is. Is created in the image of God. And that is in, in a perfect kingdom come world when Shalom has been restored, an unbroken world, unbroken, unimpaired by evil. We have the image of God. And this man is, has had his image of God so impaired and so destroyed that evil just overcomes him. Um, I want to show you guys a clip from uh, uh, the Lord of the Rings. I think it's, is it the, the second one? Uh, from the the two towers. And uh, it is basically uh, an evil wizard has has overtaken a king and completely just overpowered who he was. He's lost his identity and become the identity of evil. He's just overcome him. Uh, And so that's the setup for this clip, and we'll we'll talk about it in a second. Go ahead and fire that up. (laughs) The courtesy of your hall is somewhat lessened of late, Theoden King. Is not welcome. Why should I welcome you, Gandalf Umbrage? A just question, my liege. Late is the hour in which this conjurer chooses to appear. Last spell I name. Ill news is ill guess Be silent. Give your poor tongue behind your teeth. I have not passed to far in death to band words with a witless world Stop! I told you to take me with Stop! Theodore, Be- son of Fango! Too long to sat in the shadows. <coughs> I would stay still if I were you. Harkerton. I will you. You have no power here, Gandalf the Grey. <laughs> I will draw you, Saruman, as poison is drawn from our wound. <laughs> You did not kill me you will not kill him. Rohan. see in, in that picture the the perfect illustration of, of why I wanted to, to show that clip is that evil has so overcome this man that the his identity of who he was has been so overtaken and there's just death and and evil written on this guy's face and when it is removed his identity is is brought back and he now reflects who he is and that's what the the purpose of evil in this world is to remove our identity remove our ability to reflect christ remove our ability to reflect god and that's what what the metaphor of this is that evil has had such an influence and impact on this man in the tombs that he is unable to reflect the glory of god and now he encounters christ and christ will remove this evil from his life and he he, he gets his identity back and his identity is that Christ God has placed in each of us the the unmistakable image of himself in us and evil is here one of the purposes of evil is to destroy us distract us and allow us to not reflect the beautiful image of of God it is an image of of beauty, it's an image of relationship, it's an image of of peace, an image of community. God has always existed in three persons: God, the Son, and the Spirit, and they have always existed in community, and He has placed that image inside of us, and evil exists around this world, and its goal, its purpose is to destroy that beautiful image of community, that beautiful image of, of beauty and relationship and, and peace. To destroy that and distract us from relating that image to the world, but instead we rest and 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 we are attacked by evil. And the the beautiful metaphor is present here: the effect of evil forces. And this here is a picture of the fracture and the purpose of evil in this world. And and in this our scene, our metaphor that that we're seeing here, evil is winning in this man. But in the end, evil cannot win it it will not win he is this man here is hurting people and he's hurting himself and he's spreading fear throughout this region and more fear will be spread because of the demonic possession of this man and he's filled with agony and he's filled with pain but here Jesus is bringing this kingdom of God this shalom that we've been talking about for the last 3 weeks and the kingdom of God simply means in the Lord's Prayer, on earth as it is in heaven, God, would you bring the peace, the community, the purpose why we were created, would you bring that to this world? And now Jesus is ridding this man of his evil so that he can have this peace, this shalom, this kingdom of God that that he was, was meant to reflect and meant to have. And it's I've been harping on it. We have this fracture caused by evil in this world that keeps us from truly experiencing the full shalom, the full peace, the full kingdom of God. And this man gets to experience it through Christ. Uh, Verses 6 and 7, the evil forces are subject to God. Verse 6 says, And when he saw Jesus from afar, he ran and fell down before him. And crying out with a loud voice, He said, what have you to do with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? I adjure you by God. Do not torment me. It's it's crazy what this guy says to him. I adjure you by God. This demon is calling upon the name of God to fight Jesus. And it's a, a tactic of fear. This demon is fully aware that this is jesus this is the son of god and it's fully aware his only hope is for jesus to be distracted or jesus to 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 offer him something and so he he cries out in a loud voice similar to a a, a, a small dog i've i, I sat the the dogs for the bakers and they have these two little dogs one is the sweetest thing you can ever want to meet and the other one is this really loud barking and and ultimately this is a, a tiny dog and what i remember um when, when I went over there, like, they were going out of town, and I remember Charlie saying, Remember, this is a really small dog. You don't be afraid of this little dog. And, and this is the picture of what's happening here. This demon who has no power of any kind is just yelling and trying to, to scare. But ultimately, this demon, just like that little dog, had no power over... I didn't hurt your dog, I promise. <laughs> but the first night I went over there, or the first morning I went over there, I went to feed this dog, and the sweet one is, you know, just wagging her tail, and she's just sweet as can be, and the other one is just like going crazy, barking, but she's a little scared, so she's barking in the corner, and when a little dog gets scared and is barking in the corner, I had to clean something up a little later, uh, but, but ultimately, like the next day, I went back there that night, and that dog, something had come over this dog, and she was no longer trying to scare me, she was at peace with, with me being in her house, and the the picture here is is just like that this that little dog knew she couldn 't overtake me, but knew her only chance to, to to rule this area was to scare me and this demon is screaming with a loud voice at Jesus and trying to call upon the name of God that to have him leave him alone, but it's it 's not going to work because Jesus is in fact God. I want to bring your attention to one thing. Uh, you might remember in Mark chapter 1, a similar story happened. Jesus encountered a man with a demon, and in Mark one twenty four, it says this, What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? I know you are the Holy One of God. And then in Mark 5, 7, basically the same thing, crying out a loud voice. He said, What have you to do with me? It's the, the same ultimate first words that are said what have you to do with us what have you to do with me it's the the same words and basically the the translation here is jesus leave us alone you got nothing to do with us i'm doing evil you're doing good they're separate you go do what you do i'll go do what i do this has nothing to do with you if there was uh i've seen a a movie and i can't place where it was that there's uh somebody is is harming somebody attacking somebody and in an alley and somebody comes and amen this isn't your business. Go away. I'm taking control of this guy. This isn't your business. This is what this demon is basically saying. Actually, both of these demons. This is not your business. I am evil. You are good. Leave us alone. But ultimately, evil forces are subject to God. Uh, this, this is an important note because there, Jesus has always been in the spiritual realm and these demons have always been in the spiritual realm, so they have maybe even come in an encounter with Christ in, in uh, eternity past, and they know who Jesus is. And they're, to, to think that these demons are subject to God is is there's, there's great courage to be taken from from this exchange. And I've I've used that phrase take great courage from Jesus being in control. But I, I, I don't want us to, to miss that. I've used that phrase a lot. Understand that that we are to be filled with courage because our master is the master of all. Does that make sense? Our master is the master of all. We are not to be afraid. I, I go back to the... the I, I told the story of... I don't know, it was a month or two ago where I was in the a, a younger kid, I think I was in the, the sixth or seventh grade, and I weighed about 80 pounds and my brother was really big and there was a new kid on the playground and I was we were all kind of picking on each other and I picked on him and he jumped up and punched me right in the mouth, and I'd never ever been hit before. And then he punched me again, and before I realized what was going on, I had never been hit before, so I didn't know how to how I was supposed to fight back. Abe, please don't think less of me. Uh, and so, before I'm like, what do I do? And he hit me again a third time. And just about that time, my brother saw what was going on. And my brother was was really big at that point. And he came over and just knocked this little kid down and said, that's my brother, don't mess with him. And from that moment on, I was scared in the midst of that moment. But I also knew that that dude couldn't handle my brother. And so it gave me courage because that dude w- was was overcoming me but I had somebody on my side that could overcome him. And that's the whole point of, of what I'm talking about, to draw courage from this. Jesus, Mark, is, is putting in front of, of the, the Roman Christians that are being persecuted and killed by Nero that God is in control of nature, God is in control of the spiritual realm, and God is in control of disease. Have courage. There is no master on this earth that can overcome your master. We have the, the we are on the winning team. It's it's just like uh, I said this in, in in our community group this week. It's whenever I I go back and watch a replay of the Rams Super Bowl in '99, I never have to worry that Mike Jones isn't going to make that tackle. He makes a tackle every time. If you don't remember, Kevin Dyson was running to tie the score for the Titans at the last play of the game and Mike Jones tackled them about that far from the goal line and I've talked to Tennessee fans and they watch that over and over again I'm thinking man did he get it's not going to happen in the same way Mike Jones is always going to make that tackle every time I watch that replay our master is the master take courage in that I don't know Where you are or what you're facing Or the storm that's in your life Or the attack of evil that's in your life But whatever that master appears to be Your master is bigger Your master is stronger Your master is in more control And that master might be making a lot of noise Might be screaming Might be yelling Might be being loud But in the end Your master is in control Verse 8 Evil intends to do harm Verse 8, For he was saying to him, Come out of the man, you unclean spirit. And Jesus asked him, What is your name? He replied, My name is Legion, for we are many. And he begged him earnestly, Do not send them out of the country. Now a great herd of pigs was feeding on the hillside, and they begged him, saying, Send us into the pigs, let us enter into them. So he gave them permission. And I've always been interested in that. Why did jesus give them permission why did they want to go into the pigs what was the point of that and why would why would jesus allow the demons anything that they wanted and ultimately it's because he's going to use their evil to do good and it it illustrates for these three parties that are in play here and let me tell you again who those are those who are present at the scene that is jesus and and peter and james and and the rest of the disciples is, is the first party and also those who mark is writing to the christians in rome who are being persecuted by nero and others and and then lastly for us so it illustrates for these three parties the uh the dichotomy of jesus and demons or or good and evil that is jesus has come to give life and satan and his demons and evil have come to to kill and destroy that's why he lets them go into the pigs because it illustrates that point immediately as he lets them go into the pigs the pigs run to the hillside and drown themselves in a sea it says that in in verse 13 so he gave them permission and the unclean spirits came out and entered into the pigs and the herd numbering about 2000 and they rushed down the steep bank and into the sea where they were drowned in the sea and so jesus allowing these pigs to or these demons to do what he allowed them to do just exposes the motivation of the evil forces and it brings to mind uh one of the my favorite verses from john ten ten. it says the thief comes only to steal kill and destroy i came that they may have life and have it more abundantly and that is this verse is is the the picture uh, 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 an up close view of of what jesus is telling in this story the thief which is evil or Satan or his demons. They have come only to steal, to kill, and destroy. And they have tried to destroy the image of God, the imprint, the thumbprint of God, in this man who has been possessed by these demons. His image of God has been so destroyed and, and so messed up that this is what's left. They have come to steal. They have come to kill. They've come to destroy. And now here in these pigs, they accomplish their task by killing These pigs. So, in short, the purpose of of Jesus allowing these pigs to these demons to go into the pigs is to expose the motivation of evil. I want to move forward to uh, verse fourteen, where we see the reactions to Jesus and the reaction to his redemption. Verse fourteen says. The herdsmen fled and told it in the city and in the country, and people came to see what had happened. This is uh, a a sensational sort of uh, rubbernecking at at an accident. My my wife and I were were going this weekend to meet my parents for dinner, and we were driving across uh, 270 and, and came upon this huge traffic jam for, like, I don't know, two miles. We went maybe... 10 miles an hour at, at the fastest and it took us quite some time to, to get through those, those two miles but as we passed it we realized that the accident was on the other side of the road and not on our side so there was absolutely no reason for us to slow down other than the fact that we are a sensational people. We want to see what happened in the accident, and that's what's happening here in verse 14. The herdsmen fled and told it to the city. I mean, The ones who were in charge of keeping track of the pigs fled and went into the city and into the country and told all the people what had happened, and their reaction is to, to come out in verse 15. And they came to see Jesus... And, and saw the demon-possessed man, the one who had the legion, sitting there clothed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. Interesting to note here, these men, these people from the city come out because a great food source has been taken away from them, and they're worried and they're concerned for that, and now it's they, they see this man who was a complete lunatic in their minds, who had hurt himself and was screaming and wailing and they had passed by several times on their way to do business at the at the Sea of Galilee and it's a it's it's a profound thought that these these people are are coming to to see this and and now they see this crazy lunatic man and he's sitting there in his right mind clothed and and completely genteel and and it's interesting to to note that and then verse 16 and those who had seen it described the pigs to them and what had happened to the demon-possessed man and the pigs. And they began to beg Jesus to depart from their region. We don't understand you, Jesus. We don't understand what's going on. All we know is this guy was a lunatic and now he's normal. And these 2,000 pigs that we were counting on for food supply is gone. So we're afraid of you and and we wish that you hadn't killed our pigs. And so they ask him to leave. And then verse eighteen, something I want to land on a little bit here. And he was getting into the boat, and the man who had pos- who had been possessed with demons begged him that he might be with them. Begged him that he might be with them. Look back to Matthew or to Mark chapter three verse fourteen, and the same phrase happens as Jesus is calling his twelve disciples. Verse three. Uh, Chapter three, verse 14 of Mark, it says, and he appointed twelve whom he also named apostles so that they might be with him and he might send them out to preach that the same words that he uses to to describe his 12 disciples and the, the point that he's drawing them to them is is a matter of discipleship. And so what what is happening here is this man who was possessed by the demons and now is clothed and in his right man, mind is asking Jesus here, begging Jesus, in fact, that he might be a disciple of his, that he might follow him and pattern his life after his teaching and pattern his life after Jesus' way of life. And he begs him, Jesus, can I be with you? So it's a, a just... A a Humble thing for this guy to say I want to come and I want to follow You you have power you have words of Authority and I want to rest at your feet And learn how you live and learn about What you teach but Jesus says No he doesn't allow him to do that In verse 19 and he Did not permit him but He said to him go home to your Friends and tell them How much the Lord has done For you and how much he has had Mercy on you Instead of Allowing discipleship to happen Jesus sends this guy on a mission Verses 19 and 20 Are Jesus giving this guy a mission And note specifically what he says He doesn't say go stand on the street corner On a box and and grab a megaphone And and tell everybody He says go home to those who, who are your friends Go home to those who you have relationship with Go home to your friends And tell them how much the Lord has done for you And how much he has mercy on you what the Lord has done for you, He says, don't say so much as what who Jesus is and what He is, but instead tell of the fracture that was in you, tell of the the distorted image of God that was dis, that was killed, that was destroyed, that was mangled. Tell of of what happened to you. Tell of that fracture, and they'll tell how Jesus has restored that kingdom. Tell them about how your identity was stolen and impaired, and now it is restored. Go tell your friends about the fracture. Go tell your friends about the peace that I have brought to your life. See the depth of that. See the, the core of that and, and the mission that Jesus gives this man is the mission that, that he gives us in this present age, and the mission that he gave Mark's original hearers, those Christians in Rome being persecuted by Nero. Go and tell your friends how there was a fracture in you, and now you have this peace, this shalom, this kingdom of God that Jesus came to give. Verse 20 the the last verse we'll look at tonight and he went away and began to proclaim in the decapolis that is the region the county the the community of 10 cities the 10 cities region how much Jesus had done for him and everyone marveled now i want to close with with one simple thought and it's the ultimate effect of evil is marveling at Jesus Christ this whole story this whole p- thing that happened this event that happened that now the the metaphor that we get to to see and apply to our lives is this evil came into the world and evil came into this man and distorted the reality distorted the image of God the imprint the thumbprint of God distorted in this man's life But the ultimate end to them, they're trying to steal, they're trying to kill, they're trying to destroy what God has created and what God has made for a purpose. They're trying to to impair that, to destroy it, to kill it. And what has happened ultimately with their attempt at evil is the last words here in verse 20, everyone marveled. The ultimate effect of evil is marveling at Jesus Christ and take courage in that as evil descends upon your life, that the ultimate effect of evil is that people will marvel at Jesus. Commentator William Lane says this, the story declares that the victory over of Jesus over evil forces is a reality in which the liberating power of the kingdom of God is manifested in an extension of the saving mercy of God. Ultimately, this is the, what what Lane is trying to say here: is that evil forces the reality of evil forces that they're going to expose the liberating power of the kingdom of God, and that's what's happened here in the story. Uh, and it, it brings to mind that the greatest triumph of evil in the history of the world is the death of Jesus Christ on his cross, and the greatest triumph of God the greatest triumph of good is Jesus Christ and His death on the cross. And the the, the profoundness of this thought is, is what I want us to, to leave with and, and stand and rise and go with as we walk, as we encounter our lives, as we leave this place tonight is is simply the fact that evil intends harm but God uses it to serve His purpose. And, and op- the greatest example of that is the cross. The, the evil man the Pharisees the the people that who wanted to kill Jesus Christ intended to do god harm intended to do Jesus harm intended to to drive away they were corrupted and and served and and led by evil but ultimately their ultimate act of evil wound up as the greatest triumph of God and the greatest triumph for mankind and that Jesus died and then he rose so that we could have life. So the efforts of evil wind up in us marveling at God, wind up in us being liberated by God, which shows that the ultimate master in this world is not evil. The ultimate master in this world is God. So as we apply this metaphor of the story to our hearts as we walk through the storms of this world, as we walk through the, the encounters with evil in this world, as we walk through the death and disease of this world. Ultimately, God is in control and glory will be brought to him through it. Take courage in that. Take your mission from that and go into this world, go into the relationships that God has ordained you to have, and proclaim the fracture that was in you, and now the shalom that is in you. Let's pray. God, I thank you for this metaphor, this perfect illustration of evil intending to do harm and God using that harm to bring glory to himself and attention to himself because the most loving thing that God can ever do is draw attention to himself because within him lies perfect redemption. Within him lies perfect shalom. Within him lies perfect peace that he offers to us. Full satisfaction, eternal satisfaction of the soul is in him and Whenever he draws attention to himself, we see and we experience this full satisfaction. God, allow us to to own this satisfaction. Allow us to own this uh, peace and the shalom, and go on mission in our worlds as God has given us here to go to our friends to proclaim all that Jesus has done for you. God, allow us to live there. Allow us to live on that mission. I thank you for Christ. I thank you for his death and for his resurrection. It's in his name that I pray. Amen.